amen and amen. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. So glad that you are here. Turn to the person on your right. Say, I'm glad you're here. And the person on your left as well. If you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're starting a new series today called Relationships, about relationships, and uh, with the emphasis on the ships part. What we're going to talk about is, according to the Word of God, how do we navigate stormy and smooth seas relationally? Because if you've been in a relationship of any kind of significance, you know that you don't get to pick which kind of sea you sail. You don't get to decide if it's a stormy uh, trip or a smooth trip. Because most of the time, that situation is determined by outside circumstances and different situations and other people outside of the relationship. So we need to be able to know how to navigate both the smooth sailing trips and the stormy seas according to the Word of God. You know, most of the time when you start with a relationship series, you start with marriage because that's always a crowd pleaser. But, uh, but I actually wanted to start today with a message for our single folks. You know, we have the most amazing single adults that call this place home. And sometimes the way our culture treats singles, sometimes the way the church treats singles, it gives the impression that being single is like the minor leagues and uh, being married is like the major leagues. And if you're in the minor leagues and you're hoping to get moved up to the major leagues, and that's not just the, the way it works. In fact, what we're going to see in the scripture today is actually the opposite, that if you are single today, that you are actually in the major leagues of serving Christ uh, rather than if you were married. Uh, what we can all agree on, whether you have been married, uh, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, one year, whether you've been dating two months, one month, you had a first date last night, uh, what we can all agree on is that dating is awkward. It doesn't matter how smooth you are, it is awkward. Like when Amanda and I met, we were young, we were in college, we were going to do a summer internship together. We had never met with some other people as well in that internship. And, and some people that were mutual friends were like, hey, you're really going to like this girl. She's wonderful. You're really going to hit it off. And I was like, I don't think so. That's not what I'm interested in. They were saying the same thing to her. And she's like, I'm definitely not interested in that. And and so the day that we first met, a friend called and he said, hey, let's just kick off the summer of this internship thing by going to a water park and just having a great time. He said, it'd be you and Amanda and me and my girlfriend. And I said, well, here's the deal. I'll go. Water park sounds fun, but uh, you got to bring a fifth person. You bring a fifth person, that'd be great. Because it can't just be you guys madly in love on your way to the altar and then us two that have never met, but you've said some stuff to her and you've said some stuff to me. It just can't be like that. He's like, absolutely. I'll bring a fifth person. No problem. He shows up the next day at my house, pick me up. No fifth person. So there we are on our way to the water park. You know, going to a water park is, is super awkward because you have to take your shirt off, you know? Um, <laughs> This is back in the day, 15 years ago, so they didn't have those swim shirt things that, uh, that you could wear. You either had to rock a, just a t-shirt or go shirtless. And so, uh, you know, I weighed about 130 pounds, but it wasn't like a swimmer 130 pounds where it's like real lean and cut. It was like you could count all of my ribs. That was the kind of 130 pounds I was. So I was not a big fan of taking off my shirt in front of this girl that I've never met. And even though I wasn't that interested in her, I mean, obviously I'm a human being. I want to be impressive and awesome to every person that I meet. So I wasn't pumped about taking my shirt off. I also wasn't super pumped because my hair situation was not at its you know, top form. Because before my current circumstances, I had 
a beautiful head of hair. Now you're like, well, that's kind of prideful. No, that's just stating a fact. Like it was amazing, jet black, thick, full head of hair. And I had actually dyed it this weird red color on a, on a dare, got one of those boxes at a grocery store. And so I had red hair. I had my shirt off. And on top of that, I had just gone to get a haircut and they had done a terrible job. It was so bad that like, I felt sorry for the person that cut my hair. I wasn't angry about it. I didn't demand my money back. It was like, you were so terrible at your job. Like I just am going to do nothing. And so I had a bad haircut. I had red hair and uh, not like cool red hair, like like neon red hair from a box from the Kroger. Um, and then I had to take my shirt off. So it was just totally awkward. And at a water park, they have these rides where you go down the slides in the inner tube. You know, you track, you track them with me. And you can either ride by yourself in a single tube or you can ride in the double tube. So we get up to one of these rides and you can go left to grab a single tube or you can go right to grab the double tube and our friends they go for the double tube they're in love they're committed this till death do them part so they obviously want to ride together where one of their feet is in the other face it's just natural and so so they grab that and so Amanda and I are kind of standing there as we're walking up and you know it's a decision that we're going to make and I've seen her now so I'm leaning towards a double tube you know (laughs) I'm interested in it. I'm praying about it right there. (laughs) She didn't even hesitate. She just went and grabbed a single tube and just walked right up the ride. I'm like, well, at least I know where I stand in this relationship. I got some work cut out for me. Just first dates, introductions, newness of relationship, incredibly thrilling and incredibly awkward. It doesn't matter how you start. Thankfully, the word of God uh, has some truth for us as we navigate singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. About the things you wrote, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. So he says about the things that you wrote. So they have written him a letter. The Corinthian church has written the apostle Paul a letter. We don't have a copy of that, but this is a response to what they wrote. And then the next phrase is a quotation from their letter about the things that you wrote. And here's what you wrote. It is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. Now that seems like a weird statement, uh, just kind of by itself, but there were two camps in the Corinthian church. There were those who would say, Hey, we are in Christ. Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and even future. So we're just going to do whatever we want. We're going to live however we want. And that includes uh, our sexuality. And so there were just absolutely no rules for this certain faction inside the church. And then you had another group and it was the exact opposite. They were actually practicing marital celibacy. So they were married, but they were, uh, they were saying in the name of holiness, in the name of righteousness, in light of Jesus' return, we're not even going to participate with each other, even though we clearly could. And so he's quoting them. It is good for a man not to have relations with a woman, but because of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband and a wife does not have authority over her own body but her husband does equally in the same way a husband does not have authority over his own body but his wife does do not deprive one another except when you agree for time to devote yourselves to prayer then come together again otherwise satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control i say this as a concession 
not as a command. I wish that all people were just like me. What he's saying, he's saying, I wish everybody was actually single, but each has his own gift from God, one this and another that. And he says it again. I say to the unmarried, verse 8, and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am, if they remain single. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Verse 17. However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised? When he was called, he should not undo his circumcision. So what he's saying is, if you are of Jewish heritage and Jewish practice, and then you completed that by believing in Jesus, you don't have to pretend to not be Jewish. Was anyone called why uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. He's saying, were any of you Gentiles, meaning not practicing Jews when you became a Jesus follower? Then just keep on doing that. You don't have to change and suddenly become Jewish, just become because you were a Christian. Verse 19, circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not matter but keeping god's commandments does each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called were you called while a slave it should not be a concern to you but if you can become free by all means take the opportunity for he who is called by the lord as a slave is the lord's freed man likewise he who is called as a free man is christ's slave you were bought at a price do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. Verse 25, about virgins. Now, virgins is a stand-in uh, for the betrothed or engaged. In fact, your version of the Bible may translate it in such a way. I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Therefore, I consider this to be good because of the present distress. It is fine for a man to stay as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin or an engaged person marries, uh, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns, verse 32. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband, now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is acting improperly towards his virgin or fiance, if she is past marriable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. So he's speaking into a, a, fian a set of fiancés that were a part of an arranged marriage. Verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin will do well. Meaning they're engaged, they're betrothed and arranged marriage, but they're not going to actually get married in the name of Jesus. So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. 
A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord, meaning only another believer. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So he's giving a different opinion, but he's saying, listen, I feel like I'm as filled with the Spirit. He says earlier, I'm not quoting Jesus on these things, but I believe that I'm being led by the Spirit as I share these things with you. A few simple observations. Number one, um, being single is actually a good thing. I mean, that's the the impression that we get from these verses. Being single is is not a disease, according to the Word of God. Being single is is not pre-marriage according to the word of God. Being single is not, oh, there must be something wrong with them or else they would have already worked out. Being single is actually a very good thing. But a lot of us view singleness as only pre-marriage. That's the way married people view their own singleness. That's the way married people view other people's singleness. And probably because of those two things, a lot of single people look at their own singleness as just the stage before I get married. But if that's the way that you view your singleness, just pre-marriage, I'm in the minor leagues, but I'm hoping to be, to be called up into the major leagues. If you have a, a longer than expected singleness, all that awaits for you is heartache and suppressed passion. If you view singleness as only pre-marriage, you'll be consistently depressed by your marital state and you will have to fight your passions all day long all year long. But according to the word of God, being single is a good, good thing. Verse 7, what does he say? I wish that all people were just like me, meaning single, but each has his own gift from God. And then he says it again in the next verse. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. And he says uh, something similar in verse 40. When he says, but she is happier if she remains as she is, meaning single and unmarried. In my opinion, being single is a good thing. The other thing we see is that we want to live according to the situation that God has assigned us. Verse 17, however, each one must live in, his situ- in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. Verse 26, what does he say? Therefore, I consider this to be good because of the present distress. It is fine for a man to stay as he is, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So each and every one of us have an assignment, a marital assignment in this season. But it is our human nature to want to live in a season that's not ours. Single people want to live in a season of marriage. Sometimes married people want to live in a season of singleness. We all know somebody. We all know the familiar story, uh, a married couple having a few problems in their marriage, not seeing eye to eye. There's some tension there. And one of them works and everybody after work is going out a little happy hour, get a quick bite to dinner. And they're like, I want to tag along too. One night leads to two nights, uh, twice a week leads to four times a week. The happy hour at the Papacitos turns into the nightclub. It was just ladies at the start, but then some other men got mixed in. It was just guys hanging out. Uh, and, And then some ladies started showing up and Long story short, married person acting as a single person ends up single again because they make a bad decision. We see people who are in a certain season of wealth trying to live out of that season. 
I saw this with a lot of my friends. We graduated college with a diploma in hand, and because we thought we had a diploma in hand, that we deserved everything that our parents had worked 20 years for immediately. You know, they lived in a trailer park. My parents literally lived in a trailer park, but suddenly I'm too good to live in a one-bedroom apartment. Your parents lived in a condo, but you skipped that stage. We live in a season of a master-planned community, cul-de-sac kind of house, And that's not the season we're in. It's in our human nature to desire somebody else's season. And if you're single, what the word of God is saying is live in the season that God has assigned you. That your singleness, and this should be a relief to some of us, it's not just about, oh, it didn't work out with that person. Oh, there were some personality conflicts. Oh, I'm not out there. I'm not meeting anybody. There is at least a portion of your singleness that has been an assignment from the Lord. Which leads us to the next observation. Singleness is an opportunity to maximize kingdom effectiveness. Verse 28. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. And I say this, brothers. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should live as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice, as they did not rejoice, and those who buy, as though they did not possess, and those who use the world, as though they did not make full use of it, for the world in its current form is passing away. Look what he says in verse, 20, uh, verse 32. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided. And then he says the same thing about a woman Towards her husband, an unmarried woman is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, notice it says something kind of troubling if you want to be married uh, one day in verse 28. But such people, meaning married people, will have trouble in this life. So that's good news. Uh, Those of you who are single and want to be married, you're going to have literally tribulation. Uh, What that means is uh, it means uh, two people being pressed together under pressure, which is really what marriage is. A lot of people who are single look at marriage as the cure for whatever is wrong with their life right now. Oh, I feel this way because I'm not married. And if I was married, then I wouldn't feel this way. Oh, I have this bad habit, but as soon as I'm married, then I won't have this bad habit anymore because marriage will fix that. And a lot of us are looking at marriage as the cure for what is wrong with us right now. But the Bible actually says something different. When you become married... You're the exact same person, but now you're just under a lot of pressure. So the cracks in your character right now will become canyons when you walk down the aisle. You're like, no way, that's not the truth. My biggest problem is that I am not married right now. Your biggest problem is the cracks in your character. That's your biggest problem. And marriage will just put all that under pressure. Marriage doesn't solve your problems. Actually, it just amplifies them. So if you're a greedy person right now, your greed is going to be on display when you get married. If you're a selfish person right now, your selfishness is is doing damage to your life right now. But just wait till it's amplified by the 24-hour day, seven day a week, living in the same house kind of pressure that marriage brings. Some of you are like, well, lust, if uh, my problem is lust right now, and if I get married, then 
then that problem will go away. And to a degree, that is true. But lust is very devious, and it will find its way into your marriage. Marriage is not a fix, even for lust. So some of us need to stop looking as, at marriage as the promised land and singleness as the desert. Because actually, you're going to take on a whole new set of challenges when you become married. But there is a certain freedom to being single. There are a certain, a certain way that you can live when you're single. And, and he talks about that. He, he says a married man is concerned about his wife. Like, for example, yesterday I was power washing our house and I had done all the board, bottom portions, uh, but I needed to do the top part of our house, the second story of our house. And, and, uh, and so I was up on an extension ladder. Amanda was gone. She was running some errands and the kids are inside. And, and so I'm really, really high off the ground and I've got essentially a giant water gun in my hands. And I don't know if you've worked a pressure washer, but as soon as you pull the trigger, there's like a, you know, this kind of thing going on or it jerks you back. And when you're like super high up in the air and at my age, if I fall off the ladder, like it's, I'm not just going to bounce back up, you know, at this point. And so I'm up there and the whole time what's going through my mind is not how can I get that, you know, that off there and I need to clean out. It's like, don't fall off the ladder because Amanda will kill you again. If you die, when you fall right now, she will kill you again. That's what's going to happen because I'm the, the, her husband. Uh, she tells me all the time, I'm the father of, of the children that live in our house and uh, I'm the sole provider and I have a responsibility. So even as I'm doing something normal, I'm not just worried about my own death. I'm actually worried about how Amanda's going to be mad at me after my death. And, and that's a concern that when I was single, I didn't have that. I was just worried about my own death, right? But a married man has different uh, sets of concerns. And if you are single right now, you have a freedom that you will not have when you are married. If you're single right now, you can work 18 hours a day and no one is giving you a hard time about that. You're just enjoying the extra money in your bank account. But as soon as you're married, the money won't be worth it to your spouse. Some of you are married and you are working way too much and you are justifying it with the amount that's being deposited in your account, but your spouse would rather have you there. And you can't just be concerned about the things that you were once concerned about. You have a whole new set of concerns. So the Bible encourages us as singles to maximize our kingdom opportunity. This week we had this amazing event which I know many of you are part of, Bayou City Nights, uh, our version of Vacation Bible School. We took it on the road, and it was at this amazing baseball field that was really, really just an, a great, great place. And, and this baseball field uh, has a, uh, a baseball league for kids who normally wouldn't get to be able to play in a baseball league because they can't afford the equipment, and they can't afford the travel, and they can't afford the league fees. And so this baseball uh, complex really just puts it on for free. And so we were talking with them this week, these people who, who run the league, and they're like, we got more than enough kids. We got more than enough fields. We got more than enough time. We just don't have enough coaches. We just don't have enough people who would be willing to show up after work and spend a couple of hours with these kids, building them up and teaching them games. Listen, if you're a single man in here, even if you have nominal baseball experience, why don't you use your singleness? to build up and breathe some life into some kids that probably don't get it very often. Ladies, you, you're single. You got time after work to stop by one of the schools in this neighborhood that doesn't get a lot of attention and say, I, I want to mentor a 
a third grader. I want to mentor a fifth grade little girl. You have time to do that? You have time to volunteer in your community group? You have time to open up your home, your apartment, to host people? You have a freedom right now that you won't have when you're married. And God is asking you to steward your singleness well. Because your singleness is not just your situation. It's an assignment from God. And the last thing that we see, pursue marriage if long-term pure singleness is not an option for you. Verse 9, Paul says, But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Uh, Burn with desire, it's a slow burn that overtakes you over time. You know, sex is affirmed by God within the context of biblical marriage. In fact, it's not just affirmed within biblical marriage, it's blessed by God. And a big piece of husband and wife oneness is sex. And when you take sex outside of marriage, there is that oneness, but without the God-ordained and God commitment. It would be like if you took, you know, two pieces of duct tape. I don't know if you've ever messed around with that, but you put two pieces of duct tape together and you let them sit there for a while and then you try to rip them apart. What happens? Well, you can work really hard to get them apart, but they don't come out clean. Part of them gets ripped. They get tangled up. And really, you can't tell what was the one piece and what was the other piece. It's just a giant mess. And that's what happens when you take sex out of God's ordained context of marriage. There's still oneness there, but you're doing damage to yourself after every break. That's why some of you are like, well, it's okay because we're headed to the altar. We're on our way. We're engaged. We've been dating forever. She's the love of my life. He's the one. It's going to be great. We just got some real specific reasons why we can't be married right now. There's not time or my family can't come in or we're saving up money. But we're going to get married one day. Listen, if you're going to get married one day and you're already sleeping together, just go ahead and get married today. I mean, that's what the Bible would encourage you to do. Now, you've got to ask a bunch of other questions. But the fact, oh, we're headed there anyway, is not a justification. In fact, having sex with your fiancé, living together, it's actually hurting your relationship. You're like, yeah, but it saves money. It's saving you money on the way to the dissolution of your relationship. A couple of reasons. Number one, that oneness before you get married, it's actually just acting as a band-aid covering up some pretty serious issues. You don't ever have to discuss anything if you can always end the night in sex. You don't have to work through a fight. It's just a band-aid. Some of you are in relationships right now and you're sleeping with your significant other, and you think everything is great because the oneness is there, and the oneness makes you feel good, and the oneness is nice, and the oneness makes you feel loved, and the oneness makes you feel taken care of, and the oneness makes you feel appreciated. But it's actually just a band-aid on some pretty serious issues. Or it's creating an artificial buzz that won't be there when you walk down the aisle. See, there's a part of every single one of us, the thrill of doing something wrong is enticing. When you know that you're not supposed to do it, it kind of feels a little rebellious 
And rebellion is a little attractive. And it's actually creating a buzz for you in that intimacy that won't be there once you get, once you get married. See, here's what you want as a Christian single adult. You want to stand at your wedding reception looking at your watch. You want to ask a question. How long do I have to stay here and still call it honoring my parents? What's the right amount of time that we have to be here and still be a good steward of the money that we have spent on this shindig? Can I leave at 7? The wedding started at 6. Can I leave at 7.30? That's how you want to feel on your wedding day. You don't want it to just be like, well, we're here... We're shutting it down at noon, uh, at midnight because it's just another Saturday night to us. Just another Friday night to us. Just another time hanging out with our friends, dancing and having fun. You want it to be special. You want there to be something there. A lot of us are on our way to robbing one another of the greatest day of your life. You want to stand at your wedding and go, that was the most amazing day of my whole life. You don't want it to be like, oh, yeah, it was good. We just sealed the deal. No, it's a holy union. God gluing you together. And he uses sex to do that. So if you look at your life, I look at my life, and we know that long-term, pure singleness is not an option, then it probably means that God has marriage for you in the future. So what? what's our application as we finish this morning? Number one, establish the what before the who. Establish the what before the who. Singleness, as we've seen, is an opportunity for maximum kingdom effectiveness. What are you going to do with your life? What is going to be your God-given mission? What are you going to be about? Those are all things that you want to to have laid down in the concrete before you get married. We all have a checklist of what we want in our future spouse. You know, some of your checklist has uh, looks. Some of your checklist has income. Some of your checklist has, uh, you know, just a job. Uh, that's all they have to have is just a job. I'll just take anybody with a job right now. I don't know what's in your checklist, but we all have a checklist. On Amanda's checklist was a certain height requirement that she had for her future spouse. Thankfully, her list was, uh, she was not super committed to her list uh, once we met. Right, we all have a checklist. I had a checklist, she had a checklist, you have a a checklist. But I, I just wonder, do you have a checklist for yourself? Do you have the things that you are requiring of you before you get married? Because that's really what will make or break your marriage is that you are becoming the person that God wants you to become. And as you become the person God wants you to become, you will find somebody and be attracted to someone who is becoming the person that God wants them to become. What things have you laid down in the concrete? Have you laid down in the concrete that you're going to be a follower of Jesus with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all your strength? Is that a done deal for you? Have you established for all the days of my life I'm going to follow Jesus. Have you laid in the concrete that you're going to be committed to the church of Jesus on planet earth in all of its strength and all of its weakness, 
all of its glory, even in all of its shame? Are you going to be here Sunday after Sunday? Are you going to serve? Are you going to have a blue shirt on? Are you going to be committed? Are you going to build up the church of Jesus? Have you laid that in the concrete? Are you going to be committed lover and consumer of God's word? Are you going to read it? Are you going to meditate on it? Are you going to take it in? There aren't going to be very many days that go by that your future spouse is not going to catch you with your Bible out on the table. Have you laid that in the concrete? Are you going to be a benefit to whatever city you find yourself in, in Jesus' name? Are you going to order your life according to God's will? Are you going to follow his call wherever it takes? Those are the things that you want to lay down in permanence before you even begin to ask the who question. And once you focus on the what, you trust God with the who. To you and I, we're responsible for being a good steward of the assignment or the season that God has called us to. So we want to get to work. We want to be get busy with the things that matter most. And as you do that, as you concern yourself with the things that have eternal value, the things that God has called you to, hopefully, prayerfully, ideally, probably what's going to happen is you concern yourself with those things, you're going to look over to your right and there's going to be the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And she's going to have being focused herself on the things that matter most. She's going to be living for Christ. She's going to be committed to Jesus. And God is going to bring you two together. So you keep doing the same things, but instead of doing them alone, you're doing them together. And that's when your marriage is about more than sex and it's about more than houses and it's about more than kids and more than jobs and more than vacations and more than retirement. It's about Jesus. It's from him, for him, and to him. A couple of months ago, Amanda started watching our wedding video with uh, our children. I'm not a big fan of our wedding video because one of us cried all the way through it. And I'm, it's, I'm, it's a little fuzzy about which one of us did that. But, uh, but uh, she got, gathered us all around and the kids were eating it up and watching uh, mommy and daddy get married. And, you know, it had been a long time since I had watched it. And, and it was great. I think everybody loves their wedding. And you're, you probably think your wedding is better than my wedding but you're wrong mine was the best in the whole world but what I love watching it back so much about our wedding is it felt like half marital union and half commissioning it felt a little bit like these two people joining their lives together in holy matrimony and it felt a whole lot like family and friends coming around a 21 year old and a 22 year old saying God is going to do something significant with their lives and these two are going to follow his call wherever they go and they're going to do it together. And I love that. I think that marriage that was just about all that other stuff would be totally boring because you want your marriage to have a mission because you have a mission. You want to be able to share that. You want to be able to come home after work and vent your frustrations about work but do it in the light of the gospel of Jesus. You want to leave church and talk about how the word of God has stirred you up and what that means for you personally. You want to be able to have those conversations with your spouse. You want to be able to get in the car with your spouse and drive in from the suburbs to come and serve children in the middle of Spring Branch in Jesus' name. 
You want to be able to do that together. You want a marriage with a mission. And that only happens when you, as a single person, focus on the what and you trust God with the who. And then finally, you want to be brave, you want to be slow, and you want to be pure. To find the one that God has for you, that future spouse, you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to sign up for online. You're going to have to risk dating. You're going to have to actually, men, ask a woman out to dinner. You can't just friend her enough for her to make the reservation. You're going to have to do it. It's going to be dead scary. You're going to sweat. You'll probably cry a little bit before it happens. But you're going to make it. You're going to have to be brave. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be brave. Well, I've found just in my observation is that some singles are driving their single car 120 miles an hour and they're just being reckless. They're so they're going so fast. And then you have a lot of other people who have parked their car in the garage and are waiting for God to bring someone to their front door, knock on it and go, hello, I'm your future wife. And it's not going to be either one of those. You're going to have to be brave. The good news is, is, uh, men, there are 3.4 billion women on the earth. One of them will go and have coffee with you. I feel certain about it. Ladies, you actually have a better odds. There are 3.8 billion men. But you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be brave. But you also want to be slow. You want to be slow because there's no point in compromising. Again, because there are 3.4 billion women out there, you don't need to compromise for this one. Ladies, there are 3.8 billion men in the world. You don't need to lower your standards for this one. Because listen, small excuses in your dating relationship will be big excuses in your marriage. If you have to make excuses for him now, just wait for the kind of covering you will have to do when you're married. So don't compromise. Be slow. And when you're slow, then you know that you're leading your life with wholeness. When dating relationships happen really, really fast, it's usually our weaknesses that are leading the way. But slowness and wholeness come together. And listen, if you're like, honestly, I'm a follower of Jesus, but just my life has not been ordered in a way, and, and maybe I'm coming back to the Lord, or maybe I'm like church is my bare minimum, but I'm not really sure how I, I think about all this. And if I'm, if you're in that place where you don't feel like you have cemented that you are going to follow Jesus with all of your guts and all of your heart, not perfection, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, we're never going to get it perfect. But if you're in that place where it's just still up in the air, I'd encourage you not to date. I'd encourage you definitely don't get married. Because as a Christian, until you are fully committed, your filter is going to be broken. You're just not going to be able to see what's up and what's down, what's right and what's wrong until you bring your life into the alignment of the word of God and the spirit of God. Be brave, be, be slow, and be pure. There's one way that you can know, I think, that you've chosen the right person to begin a dating relationship with. As God has trusted you with your purity and wholeness no matter what your past is thankfully the blood of jesus just redeems all of us and you're like i don't know i've done some pretty worse things god has redeemed worse people in the scripture and he's redeemed worse people in this room so i don't care what your past is we uh hold 
a God-given, God-forgiven purity today, no matter where you're coming from. But can you trust that future person with that purity? Could you look at that guy across the table and say, if I just entrusted my total purity to him, would he keep me pure? If I just left physicality of our relationship over to this woman, would she keep us in line with God's word? And that's dangerous because you can't trust yourself. But in the same way that you trust yourself, can you trust this other person? Be slow, be brave, and be pure. And all of us, all of us, whether you're married or you're single, we want to be good stewards of the assignment that God has given us. And we want to think rightfully about those who are single, not the minor leagues, trying to get called up to the big leagues. Doesn't mean something's broken or something's wrong. Just an assignment given by God. Whether your assignment is married, single, let's be good stewards of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it just speaks right into the middle of what seems to be a pretty specific topic. Just pray it would continue to, your word would continue to wash over us like a wave. We would respond to it accordingly. Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. We want to follow you, single, married, with kids, without kids, good days, bad days. We're committed to following your path. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.